everybody ready with your Bible? Put your Bible up. You got a hard copy Bible? Can we see the hard copies? Lift them up. What is this, the tech area back there? Everybody back there has like apps. Okay, so if you have an app like John Houston does, I see it over there, tap on. I want to go to Romans chapter 13. You could either turn old school or you can tap new school. And we're going to look at one more message in our series, Awakening the Sleeping Giant. Awakening the Sleeping Giant. So Romans chapter 13, I want to look at verses 11 down to verse 14. This book is, it's supernatural, it's amazing. Uh, We study it not just to put trivia in our head or certain knowledge in our head. We want to live it out. That's the key. So Awakening the Sleeping Giant is the title of the series, and this is going to be our last message in the series. Of course, we're leading up to one year anniversary, which is next Sunday. So Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 14, as the ushers pass the offering bucket around. Try to do some multitasking right now. Is everybody at Romans 13? Say amen. Is everybody at Romans 13 and you're you're wanting to hear God speak to you? Amen? So let's do that. All right, a little trivia here. A little trivia for the back section, not for the front section, because I see scholars in the back. Most well-known and famous giant in history. Lawrence Taylor. (laughs) That's awesome, Andy. Anybody in the back? No? Say it out nice and loud. Goliath. Yes. Goliath. You know how tall Goliath was? Scholars say he was nine feet, six inches tall. Nine feet. Now, does anybody know how tall I am? I look pretty short from where you're at because people come up here after the service and they go, wow, you're a lot taller than it looks like from back here. I'm 6'2". I'm going to try to... Can somebody come up here and like hold this thing for me? Who would be that? Who would be that person? I'm going to go up to nine feet six. And we're going to see the difference between Goliath and myself. Hey, brother. How's your wife feeling? Still sick? Yeah. Okay, hold on this one right here. We're going up to nine. Diggity dog, man. This dude was big. There's nine six right there. That's how tall Goliath was. That's pretty tall, huh? It's a giant. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Let me bring up a more modern giant on the screen behind me. This is Robert Wadlow. Robert Wadlow. You're looking at a. You're looking at about eight feet eleven inches for Robert Wadlow. There. Get this. His, his shoe size was thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. Now I'm six-two and I wear ten and a half, and so I got like little feet for a six-two. Thirty-seven. At 18 months, he was four and a half feet tall. <laughs> Can you imagine this 18-month-old coming up to me, and I'm looking at him, he's like four and a half feet tall, and be like, at eight years old, he's six feet tall. And at 16 years old, Robert is over eight feet tall. Now, we're talking about a different kind of giant. Obviously, it's the church. The church is immense. In our country alone, it's two four. 2.4 million professing evangelical Christians, somewhere around 350 to 400,000 churches. Many churches are closing their doors. There are others who are trying to plant churches, which is a great movement. Uh, that's where we land into that, replant or planting churches. But the church is immense. The power that is potential for reaching the world. Uh, and I personally believe that the church is the key. It's the gospel through the church. 
and to the world. And so the local church is, is the way that God has designed for the, church, the world to be reached. It's amazing potential that the church has. However, the church has fallen asleep. The giant has fallen asleep in many parts of the world. I'm going to just focus in on America because if you go to other countries, mostly third world countries, you'll see that the giant has long ago wakened. The giant has gotten up and there's powerful things happening where people are being saved and they're being healed and there's demonic deliverance and all kinds of things that are happening. But in America is where I want to concentrate on the church being asleep. It has fallen asleep, the giant. And so what's exciting is that in this church, Harvest Reading, people are coming awake. Amen? Coming awake. And so most often when I preach, uh, everybody is paying attention. They, they don't fall asleep, right? Everybody's kind of getting a little fidgety right now. He's looking. He's going to come up into the audience like he does once in a while. I don't need to do that anymore because I have a new solution if somebody falls asleep during my message. Does anybody know what it is? Does anybody know what it is? Man, this is like smelling salts. It's awesome. You ever heard of smelling salts? Yeah, so I'm going to do a little demonstration here. And so somebody that looks a little bit too sleepy to me, I'm going to have you whiff this. I want you to give a big old whiff. These teenagers look like they went to bed a little bit too late last night. So we're going to crack this open. and who? All right, I'll give it a shot. Let's see what this does. I'm not going to do that. Hold on to that. This is legit, man. If somebody falls asleep during my messages, I'm going to make a little trip up to see you, and we're going to put that underneath the nostrils, and you're going to be wide, wide awake. I'm only joking. I hope that the Spirit of the Lord is the one that keeps you awake. Here's the title of the message. If you have an insert that was given to you, hopefully at the front door as you walked in, I titled this, Getting Ready to Face the Day. Getting Ready to Face the Day. That's the title of the last message in our series. How do you face the day? And what I'm talking about here is not just tomorrow, Monday, and then Tuesday, the day. That's important. Every day we're supposed to face the day with the power of God, with the anointing of God, with the gospel of God. Every day we're supposed to face it in certain ways that the Apostle Paul will lay out. And so that's one of the ways that we're going to look at facing the day. But there's also another day coming. It's the day that Jesus returns. And this is really the context of Romans 13, is that Paul's going to talk to us about Jesus Christ is coming back or we're going to go with him. So that doesn't, we don't know when we're going to go with him. Um, and so I'm 53 years old. I might have another week. I might have another year. I might have another, I've asked the Lord for 100 years. Uh, so that would give me another 47 years. Uh, and so that's possible. We'll see what happens. But the day, facing the day, is the day that you go to be with Jesus in the eternal or the day that he comes back. But it also is practical on how do you face each and every day as a Christian. And so verses 11 to 14, I'm going to read these out of Romans 13. If you would follow along with your eyes, whether it's hard copy Bible or on your Bible app, and I'm going to go in verse 11 right now. Paul said, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to what? What's it say? Wake from sleep or awake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and do what? Put on the armor of light. Verse 13 says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. There's the verses that we're going to look at. I want to look at four ways to face today. Number one, four ways to face today. Set the alarm. You've got to set the alarm. This is verse 11, the first half of it. We would call it verse 11a. And so he says, besides this, besides this, Paul's desires for the believers in Rome, the Roman culture there is carelessness, it's moral chaos, it's debauchery, it's all kinds of worldliness. In the Roman culture, the believers have come out of that darkness. And Paul's saying, besides this, he's going to build on these truths that this is how a Christian lives. This is how a Christian faces each and every day in a Roman culture, in a, in a very corrupt environment. He mentions there that you know the time. Notice that, besides this, that you know the time. Do you remember the age when you learned how to tell time? Do you remember that? Remember when you learned how to, were you taught how to tell time? Anybody? What's happening in these public schools, huh? Let's do a little bit of a, a, a little thing here. So watch this clock on the screen here. We're going to try to tell time. Okay, what time is that, everybody? What do you think? It looks about like, t- yeah, 10, 10 and a half, maybe 10, 11, right? Did anybody get that? It's important for you to know how to tell time, right? No, seriously, it's important. So if you don't know how to tell time, you're in a world of trouble. You know, you're going to be like, okay, it's time to go to work. You'll be like, don't know when that is. What do I do? What do I do? How about another one for those who need some smelling salts? What time is that? Are you sure? Look close. Good question. Good question. Don't know. Know the time. Paul says, know the time. You know the time. Let me just... Just be frank and blunt with you, and I need to be honest. I need feedback back and forth. How many people use an alarm clock to get up in the morning? You're like, I don't need an alarm clock. I just wake up. Most of us need an alarm. And so Paul's saying with this besides, you know the time. He's saying you got to set an alarm. In other words, now is the time for you to wake up. Isn't that what an alarm clock does? You set the alarm so that you might know the time. He says, the hour has come. Notice in the text, the hour has come. Now think about that statement right now. All of life is about the hour that has come, the hour to wake up, to face the day, to get ready for work. Usually when an alarm goes off, what do you typically do with a knee-jerk reaction? What do you do? Snooze button, right? <laughs> Snooze. How many, how many people are like more than five times? Yeah, you need deliverance. How many people more than 10? You're like demon-possessed. No, it's like... it's. it's People are hitting the snooze button, right? The alarm goes off. You don't want to wake up. And so you're hitting the snooze button. You're, you're, you're addicted to the snooze button. Do you know that there's really a support group for snooze, buzzing, snooze button people? Did you know that? Yeah. I'm just making that up. I don't know, but there probably should be, you know. Paul said, wake from sleep. Notice it. You got to wake from sleep. Now, when do your feet hit the floor? Do your feet hit the floor at like 5 in the morning? Does, it, does your feet hit the floor at 6 in the morning? Or maybe your feet hit the floor at crack of noon, right? <laughs> when, does it, when do your feet hit the floor? And when they hit the floor, what do you like? Are you like this guy? Can we take a peek at this guy? Is this most everybody? Like, I don't notice this. There we go. Anybody relate to that? Oh, some of you are like, I just jump out of bed, and I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. And we hate you. Because most of us look like that. Well, 
we stumble out of bed. The alarm goes off, we hit the snooze, we stumble out of bed. Look at 1 Corinthians with me. It'll be on the screen, 33 to 34. Notice Paul has already said these things before. He says it to the Corinthian church, which is a church which, is in, which was in trouble. Uh, they were definitely asleep in so many ways. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. What's it say in verse 34 there? Do you see it there? Wake up. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. i got another section here I want you to see. Let's go to the next slide. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 to 8. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. Notice the words. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not what? Is it literal sleep we're talking about here or what? Spiritual sleep. Don't sleep spiritually. Sleep at night. And those who get drunk, they get drunk at night typically, right? Is that what happens when the darkness is? Nighttime. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Not staying away from alcohol. It's not an alcohol thing. It's, it's this clear thinking spiritually. It's being alert. It's being engaged. It's being in the moment. You know, that kind of thing. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for the helmet, the hope of salvation. Remember, Paul's writing in a context that is very, very corrupt. He's writing in a context where they, they esteemed highly living uh, a life that is totally and completely against what God had intended for them. And so we need to set the alarm. Set the alarm. Know the time. For some of you, that needs to be right now. Right now, because you've been sleeping spiritually. Now, here's I'm going to illustrate something because it might be something you can relate to. Because some people have the alarm going out. The, the alarm goes off, preaching of the word of God, people praying for you, people saying to you, man, are you doing well spiritually? Well, I'm not doing well spiritually. But you're still busy in life, and you're still working, you're still trying to make your money, and you're going on your vacations and everything like that. You're going along with life, and it's like, it's like the alarm is constantly going off for you. And this is you. This is how you live your life. Now, the alarm, the word of God, the spirit of the Lord is doing something, speaking to you. It's going off. It's going off. You're going to work. You're going on vacation. You're in church. And you're not, you're not waking up. What's it going to take for you to wake up spiritually? I'm not wise enough to make that decision, but God is. And he's going to allow something into your life, maybe to go, time to get up. Time to get up. The alarm's been going off. You're not listening to it. It's still making a lot of noise, but you're not turning it off. You're not saying, hey, I need to get up now. I need to get up. I've seen too many tragedies of people who have not, not set the alarm in their life, and they not have, have not listened to the alarm. And they're in trouble. Number two, how do you face the day? Here's number two, see what's coming ahead of you. This is in verse 11b down to verse 12. Would you take your eyes to that verse 11b? You'll notice. Paul goes on to say that uh, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for, watch this, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The word salvation there is not talking about being born again. We're already born again. He's talking to born again Christians. 
He's talking about salvation in the sense of the eternal. He's talking about salvation in the sense of Jesus when he comes back. There's terminologies in the New Testament that say that that is salvation. Salvation is just not when you were born again. Salvation is all along the way. Salvation is when Jesus returns or you to go to be in perfect peace, perfect heaven. That's referred to as salvation at times, and that's what's referred to here. And so he's saying there's this salvation. It's nearer, he said. With each, with each passing day, we're getting closer to the eternal. Now he goes, let me go back just briefly up into verse 8 of this same chapter, Romans 13. Take your eyes there. Owe no man anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another is, has fulfilled the law. Now we're talking about fulfilling what God's pur- purpose is or his plans you know, his will, uh, for the commandments you shall commit, not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And love does no wrong to a neighbor. Now he's talking, obviously, about the relationship with God, and that's locked in, but now he's talking about relationships with other people in the church or in the world. And we need to love one another. And how do you love one another? Well, a person that loves somebody is not going to hurt them. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying that, that love does no wrong, verse 10, to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So if you want to know how to live face the day, how to live the Christian life, it's loving God and it's loving people. It's vertical, then it's horizontal and in that order. And so if you want to love the people in this church, then you love them by being awake spiritually. You love them in this sense. Now watch this. This is a beautiful truth. And I've, I said to the Lord this past week, I said, I need this outline. God gives me these outlines. I look at the text, and I understand the context, and I do Greek-Hebrew studies and all that other stuff that pastors do to try to put together a a message outline. I'm like, God, this message outline is for me. Because there's been massive struggles since coming to Reading, for me personally. Battles. And I'm like, "This this is awesome, because God, you're saying to me that I need to see what's coming. If I can set my sights on the fact that I'm gonna be with Jesus one day, and it could be one day sooner than I thought, then that should affect the way that I live my life now. Let me ask you, if you knew you had one more week to live, how would that affect your living now? If, you, if God said you have one more day to live, how would you live your life? Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher that I had mentioned during some of this series, had a resolution that he would live his day as if it was the last day of his life on earth so that his life would be lived to the honor and glory of God because he knew he was going to be face-to-face with Jesus. Paul's saying, if you keep that before you, see, the the night is far gone, the day is at hand. This is where he's wanting us to go. He's wanting us to see into the future, knowing that Jesus is coming back or I'm going to be with him. Don't lose sight of eternity. You know what really stinks is when you're in the middle of something that you shouldn't be doing? Bad attitude, you're yelling at the kids, you're kicking the cat. You know, I mean, I don't know what you're doing. You're doing something bad, right? And you feel really bad about it. Can you imagine if Jesus came back in that moment? Boom, right then. How would you, it would be like, man, this is really horrible. This feels really bad. So why can't we live every day, face the day, as if Jesus is coming back or I'm going to go be with him soon? Paul wants the Romans to do this. Roman Christians, he wants them to understand that this is how you live. Now he moves down into verse 12 and he says this. Notice verse 12, he says, cast off the works of darkness Cast off the works of darkness. In other words, the sin that's in our life, the dark sins that we still all have. Is anybody with me on that? Does anybody know that you still have the old flesh? Andy, are you familiar with the old flesh? The old Andy? 
You got a new Andy, old Andy, old Chris, new Chris. Everybody has that. And so Paul's saying, I, I want you to cast off the works of darkness. There are things in our life that we need to separate ourselves from, the sins of our life. Does anybody have a problem with their mouth, typically? Raise your hand. Uh, okay, and so how about thought life? Anybody have thought life problems right here? Usually they all go together. Some of you have no problems at all, right? Because you're not raising your hands on any of these. Come on. Let's do a little demonstration here. Okay, so this pillow is going to represent sin. Okay, black, darkness, sin. Here's what casting off the way the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us. He's saying separate yourself from the sin. You need to get that thing away. If you're on a boat, you would cast, was it called cast off from the, the shore? Is that what it's called? And So if you're a sailor, you would cast off from the shore. You're separating yourself from the shore. You're pushing out, separating. Okay, so if you're a fisherman, anybody a fisherman here? I'm not really a fisherman. Do you cast? Is that what it's called? You're casting that thing out? Well, Paul's using very similar imagery here. So this is going to be my sin. This will be my sin of pride because I struggle with pride and arrogance. Anybody in the house with me on that? Don't leave me hanging. Thanks, Paul Jablisco. Appreciate that. You got some pride? All right, stay right there. Stay right there. Don't move. Okay, so this is my pride. I want my pride to get away from me. I'm going to get it as far away from God, I don't want this pride in my life. I don't want this sin. I'm going to cast it off, right? Okay, now, Don, what you think of something, brother, and pick somebody in the house here. Pick somebody and just, what is the sin that you just want to get cast away from you? You're just saying, God, I want that away from me. What is it? You got too many to count? Just pick one. <laughs> self-righteousness, self-righteousness. Who could we throw it to? Do you know anybody back to, how about Joe Farabee? Joe, right there, throw it to Joe. Stand up, Joe. We're going to cast that away. Awesome. What do you got for us? We're going to cast it away. Separate yourself from it, brother. You're saying, God, I don't want this thing around me anymore. I am casting this away. Yeah. Would that be unrighteous desires? I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. How about down here? Can you make it down here without anybody getting hit in the head? How about over here? Go ahead, stand up. Somebody stand up. See if you can make it down here. Watch yourselves over here. It's just a pillow, but go ahead, Joe. Bring it on down. Bring it on down. Nice. What do you got? you got? We're all struggling with the same thing here, huh? Give it to me, bro. Separate yourself from it. Does this make any sense? Let's get this away from us, whatever it may be. And it could be lust. It could be unkindness. It might be your, your mouth. You know, you're demeaning somebody. You're hurting somebody. Maybe bitterness. Maybe lack of forgiveness. Cast it away. Cast it away. Get it away from your. That's where he's going with that. So important. He wants the believers there to understand this. It's also a, a, a wonderful metaphor here. I don't know if you've ever seen the, the TV show Dirty Jobs. Is that what it's called? Dirty Jobs? I don't know the guy who hosts it, but he's going in these different jobs. And Can you imagine going into like the, the dirtiest job that you can possibly think of, and, and you soiled your clothes, and they're just, they're just awful. You come home, and, and you don't change. And you go to sleep, and <laughs> your, your wife's kind of looking at you like, not happening, you know? And so you go the next day, and you don't change. You go the next day, don't change. The next day, don't. What Paul's saying here is that th that dirty clothing, he's going to say it's casting it off. It's, it, you're putting on the armor, but you're taking off the dirty clothes. 
and you want to get those dirty clothes away from you, this is where he's going to. We all do that. We freshen up and we want to see somebody, right? How many of you guys, when you were first setting eyes on your date, you know, your, who might be your wife now or maybe not, or you just remember going on that first date and you're excited about that? Or ladies, remember, you're going to meet the guy, he's coming over, you know, and what are you doing? You're freshening up. You're making yourself look better. Why aren't we freshening up as a church, as Christians, before Jesus comes back? Cast it off, put it on, put on the armor of light. This is where he's going with this. Oh, it's so important. It's so convicting. I'm telling you, this was so in my wheelhouse for me personally this week. I love this. Put on, it's, it's, it's you know, this active, uh, you know, word there, put on. You've got to keep putting on. It's continuous action. Let me go to number three. Write this in. Chop some notes down. Sin less and less. Verse 13. We've got to sin less and less. This is sanctification. This is where we're going with this. In verse 13, if you'll notice, he says, let us walk. Notice the word walk. You see that word there? That's a word that Paul uses over and over again to de- kind of describe the Christian life. Uh, it doesn't say that we're supposed to stand. There are some other verses in the warfare letter of Ephesians that says you should stand. But most often you'll see we're walking. That means there's movement in our life. There's consistency. There's direction. You're, you're going towards Christ. You're going towards Christ-likeness. You want your character to be like him, so you're walking. He says, let us walk. And then he uses this word properly. Do you see that word properly? How do you walk? Try walking properly in the dark. Anybody have a hard time walking properly in the dark? I would get up in the middle of the night. You know, I need to go raid the refrigerator, get a drink, or maybe go to the bathroom, right? And so you're walking in the dark. Don't turn the lights on because I don't want to wake up Lisa. And so I'm walking, and I do a header into the wall. You ever done a header into the wall? And you're like, boom! And you're like, now who put that wall there, you know? Or, or you, you know, you stub your toe or, God forbid, you step on a Lego. <laughs> you know, it's like, you ever done something like that before? And the four-letter word comes to your mind. You're like, love, love, I love my kid. <laughs> but you're like, ah. I remember uh, getting up many years ago to go to the bathroom, and I stepped. And when I stepped, the, the nerve receptacles in my feet and this, this something on the floor, and, and the, the message was going from my foot. It started to go to my knee. Then it came up, and then it hit my brain, and I'm thinking, my dog left a love offering in the middle of the night. (laughs) Now, all of that could have been avoided if I did what? Turn the lights on. Don't try to walk in the dark. You can't walk properly. Nobody can walk properly when you can't see. So Paul's saying morally and spiritually, you got to walk as in the day, not as in the night. He mentions these words daytime. We looked at some in Corinthians and Thessalonians. He's using these words day, daytime. And then he gives these three categories of, of different sins here in the text. Notice he, call, he says orgies and drunkenness or parties and addiction. Partying and addiction. I can't even begin to tell you how often I've, done, I've gone to a wedding or I've been to different functions and I, I see professing Christians getting drunk. Right or wrong? What does the Bible say about Christians or anybody getting drunk? Is it sin? For sure. There should have been 100% participation on that one, seriously. Because the Bible is clear. If you get drunk, you could potentially be setting yourself into a place of not even being a real Christian. That's what it says. 
And so these professing Christians are getting drunk. Those are, those are sins that Paul's saying. You just can't do that. That's in Rome. Orgies and drunkenness. Then he says sexual sin, sexual immorality. Then he uses sensuality. So here's another category. It's the third category. It's social category or relational sins. Quarreling and jealousy. Quarreling and jealousy. These are the things that he says. You don't walk like this anymore. You don't do these things. The Roman culture might be doing that, but you're a Christian now in the Christian church. You know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You don't do these things anymore. We're supposed to be sinning less and less. Can you see this on the screen here? Notice this. We, we sin less and less, but I want to kind of, kind of rearrange the words there because I don't want you to think that you need to be a sinless person. Anybody a sinless person here? There is no way. In heaven one day, we'll be a, a sinless person. So we're not the top one here. We're not sinless, but we do try to sin, what? Less and less. Every day, less. God, help me to wake up, face the day. Help me to sin less today than I did yesterday in thought, word, or deed. Here's where he's going with this. So important. So we set the alarm. We get up. Now's the time. Now's the time. We see what's coming ahead of us. Eternity, Jesus Christ, or us going to be with him. We're sinning less and less. And then one more, say no to the flesh. Say no to the flesh. Verse 14, notice, and then he finishes, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ like a garment. Put it on, the clean garment. Put on Jesus and make what? No provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You know what the flesh is? It's the old man. It's the old man. It's when Chris starts to get all full of himself and prideful and, you know, and I'm treating Lisa wrong or, you know, or I'm just consumed with, myself you know it's just this old chris that's still with me the flesh it's it's the pride that don was talking about it's the unrighteous desires that joe was talking about it's all of this is the old man that's still with us or the old woman this is where paul talks about the flesh and he's saying things like carnality and 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 this is what the word means fleshly means means carnal carnal desires carnal thoughts carnal words jealousy Pride, we talked about that, envy, gossiping, slander, judging people unrighteously. This is all the flesh. And we still want to follow those places, don't you, at times? The flesh. And it's like, God, I pray that you would help me not to be in the flesh. I want so, so badly for my flesh to be gone. And in heaven one day, my flesh will be gone. I won't battle with that. Can you imagine that? No lustful thought, no pride, no unrighteous desires, no, no selfishness, no unkindness, no envy, no jealousy in my life anymore. Can you imagine that, that time? How much freer we will fe- feel. We'll be just, no flesh. It says, make no provision. For the flesh, make no provision. In other words, don't provide opportunities for your flesh to be fed. Does that make any sense? Don't put before you anything that's going to cause you to stumble into flesh. All right, little trivia. Hooters for a hamburger or five guys. What do we do? Elevation burger, yes. You just don't put provision, you know? It's like, you don't want to do that, guys. You don't want to go into a, an environment like that thinking, I'm just going to get a good meal. 
and then you have half-dressed ladies serving you. We have to be really careful and cautious about this thing. Listen, if, if you have a gambling temptation, which many people do in our culture in the church, it's, it's very similar. If you have a gambling temptation, do you go to Vegas to go on vacation? Yes or no? No, don't make provision for that. Or Atlantic City or wherever these, these casinos are. Or you just don't do that if you have a gambling temptation. Don't make provision for that. How about if you have a food addiction? Food addiction, you turn to food and it's just like, I don't want that flesh in me. I don't want to do that. Don't watch the Food Network, right? No, seriously, that can be a stumbling block for you. You know, when you're in the grocery store and they got the Tasty Cake display there, isn't that a temptation? Can we hear something in the house today? It's like, that's a temptation for me too. I grew up on those things. And I'm looking at the Tasty Cake thing. And I'm, I need to go down another aisle. You're saying that's ridiculous. Well, it depends what your temptation is, your flesh. Don't put it before. If you have alcohol temptations, don't go to the package store. Don't go near that. Here's what you do, and you're going to see these words on the screen. These are really good words. Here's what you want to do. You've got to renounce it. You've got to declare your abandonment of, I'm renouncing this thing. Don, I, I'm, I'm renouncing. Joe, I'm renouncing this thing. Then you refuse. You indicate that you are not willing to accept it. I'm not willing to accept this flesh in my life anymore right now. I'm saying no to the flesh. How many people would say, and I'm going to close, how many people would say, this past week I struggled with some form of flesh? Some form. Raise your hand. The rest of you, it's going to be this coming week. How many people know how hard it is to say no to that flesh, whatever it is? Isn't it hard? God, would you give us the strength to say no to the flesh? So here's what we do. We set the alarm. We see what's coming ahead. Jesus, the eternal state. We sin less and less. Not that we're sinless, but we sin less and less. And we say no to the flesh. Listen, God is awakening Harvest Reading. Amen? Hallelujah. He is awakening us. He's awakening us, but not all of you. And who are you that needs to be awakened today? Can I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes? Please don't look around. This is going to be a real personal time. I just want you to look up here, or bow your heads, but I want those who would say, you know what, Chris? I, I need prayer because I am, I am that guy or I am that girl who have been asleep spiritually, and, and I need some prayer. Raise your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. A lot of, a lot of places. Thank you. We're going to sing one song. We're going to worship the Lord with this song. I'm going to encourage those hands that went up. I'm going to encourage you during this song that you would just turn to the Lord and say, oh, God, help me to hear the alarm. It's been going off for a long time. I hit snooze over and over and over again. I've been drowning out the alarm. I have not listened to it, not answered it. When my feet hit the floor, God, I'm not thinking about eternity. I'm not thinking about Jesus coming back today, and it's causing me to live a loose life. I want to sin less and less. And I want to say no to the flesh a lot more than I'm doing now. Can we stand to our feet? God, we pray that as we worship you with this song, help us to awaken, waken your giant, the church, the sleeping giant. 
God, we're all in process. Nobody's arrived. The Apostle Paul said he has not arrived. I'm not going to compete with him. He's way beyond me. And if he can say that he hasn't arrived, I can't say it. None of us can. But we're all in process. And so, God, would you just continue to do an amazing thing in our life? Can I ask you to lift your hands to the Lord? Lift your hands to the Lord and just say, oh, God, I receive from you. I want to I continue to hear from you, speak to me, move me, awaken me. God, my life belongs to you. My hands are raised to you because I need you to lift me up. I need you to help me to hit the floor every single day, living for your glory, living vertical. I need you to help me to do all of the things that we looked at in this four-point outline by your spirit and with your anointing. For those hands that went up during the song, God, we pray that you would just do amazing things as we sing this song. In Jesus' mighty name, let's sing unto the Lord.